Before we um, go into the Word or any further in our service, I want us to do something together as a church this morning. Uh, last week I mentioned that I had um, served in a mission trip over in Russia. One of the things a lot of people may not have known is I've spent time in U- Ukraine as well, working with pastors and Christians there. Um, last week we talked about, uh, we, we actually ended where First Peter, the letter of First Peter, he talked about how... We submit to governments, but when he's talking about that, he's talking about how when they do the right thing. That's kind of what he's talking about. But as people of God, we actually, and I mentioned this last week, we live as a part of a different nation. Uh, The nation of the people of God, the nation of Jesus, the people of God, the people of Jesus. And, And the kingdom of God, the family of God, it doesn't know geographical boundaries. Um, It doesn't know um, whether someone's in a democracy or in a nation that's not a democracy. The the people of Christ, they follow Christ. And today I want us to do something. Uh, I I just think the church would not be the church if we were not praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the world. And I I know that today um, we need to pray for the church in Ukraine. There was this wonderful pastor there. named Pastor Peter. That's what we called him, right? Ironic that we're walking through the letter of the Apostle Peter. Um, But I remember uh, doing dinner in Pastor Peter's house there, just a small, quaint house. You'll see some of the pictures on the news of these apartment uh, buildings that people lived in. He lived in one of those, um, he and his wife, Oksana. And um, we sat there and we enjoyed time just fellowshipping, encouraging Christians in the church. So there are real people right there in the world today um, that are facing what you're hearing about, what you're reading about. And and we gather today in safety. Uh, We gather today in comfort and convenience. Uh, Our only inconvenience is that it may be Mardi Gras season. And so um, are you going to be able to get from A to B today is probably the most inconvenience that we will face. Um, But they're facing a real challenge, as well as the Christians and the church in Moscow, in Russia, because I've done time serving pastors there as well. So uh, this morning, I want us to just pray for our church. I I think it would be appropriate to pray um, for the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the Christians in Ukraine, the Christians in Russia, the church, uh, as well as to pray for our community um, and our city and our own country. The further people get away from Jesus, the uglier things get. And so we need to draw closer back to the one who's shown us who we are and therefore how we should live. Will you just join me in a moment of prayer? And let's let's all lift up our hearts to God. Um, and as you're preparing your heart right now, I, I just say maybe there's a moment where you need to cleanse your heart. So as we pray, as we bow our heads and our hearts and we humble ourselves before God, um, let's begin by just saying, God... We know that we also are sinners. We know that we need the grace, Jesus, that you've provided that saves us. God, we know that, Jesus, you came to rescue us. And so we confess right now, perhaps our own pride or our own rebellion, attitudes and choices. Jesus, we lay that down before you right now because we want to have pure hearts as we pray and we talk to you. And as you cleanse us, as we confess honestly, and Jesus, we ask you to forgive us. 
We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world. God, we pray for the Christians in Ukraine, the churches in Ukraine. We pray for the Christians in Russia, the churches in Russia. We pray for those who by faith have claimed you as their Savior. And we join together with them because we are a people of a different kingdom, with a different cause, with different lifestyles. We pray for your protection, but God, also in the midst of great challenge that the church would persevere there. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. We pray that not only you would protect them, that you would intervene and you would help in the midst of this global crisis that we hear about. God, we thank you for those who are here serving, trying to solve problems. We thank you for those here that we know and around the world who serve militarily on behalf of our country. God, we pray for wisdom, for their protection. We pray for their leadership in these days. And God, we pray this because ultimately what we do desire is your peace. We desire opportunities to share the good news of Christ because our world doesn't give us much good news. But Jesus, you do. So we pray today for them. God, we pray in our own community, in our own city, even now as as many people come in and, and they spend a few days um, living however they want. God, we know that that will not fulfill the ultimate desire of their heart. And they perhaps will even leave this city empty, even emptier than when they arrived. God, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that salvation will come to those in our community and our lives. God, we pray for our city. We pray for opportunities as your people here to be a light to our world. And God, we, we thank you that we are just one part of your body, the body of Christ here in Calvary Baptist Church. But God, we thank you. We ask you to continue to hear our prayers and use our prayers to change the world. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship. We don't take it for granted. And God, would you move in our midst, in our hearts, by your Holy Spirit, even now, as we pray. In the greatest name above all, the name of Jesus. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's, it's good to be able to take the time to be the church and to pray. I want to encourage you to continue to do that this week. Continue to pray for your brothers and sisters around the world. Um, but also here in this city as well, the churches here in this city. We had a pastor in this local region right here um, in Algiers um, pass away this week. So even one of our congregations uh, right here. A lot of challenge has been going on in the city. Uh, a lot of churches without leadership and pastors. And I can just tell you, Christians, it is time to re-engage in your church it's time to re-engage in your faith. It's why we're walking through the letters that the Apostle Peter would write to the Christians then because it applies to you and I today, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So go on and get your Bibles and, and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to cover a pretty good bit of ground today in Scripture, picking up where we left off. Um, while you're turning, though, I, I want to draw attention to uh, one of my dear friends and an important part of our staff team and our staff family and our church family here. Um, Pastor Bo Waldrop, his wife Bridget, and their little girl Shiloh welcomed an awesome addition to their family this week. Charlie Waldrop has entered the world healthy. Uh, he was, uh, I had to make sure I said this right, 7.9 pounds, not 79 pounds, right? 
That would be some kind of baby, Bridget, right? But seven pounds, nine ounces when he was born, 20 inches long, a head full of hair. He actually looked like Shiloh when she was born, so pretty pretty remarkable. And I know that they're joining us online today. Uh, we love you guys as a church. We're so grateful for your work and leadership here as an associate pastor. And so um, I, I know that this time there's nothing greater. It's sweet. So I pray that you're enjoying that today. And um, we all love you as a Calvary family. Can we just let him know that today and that we're so thankful for them and support them? Charlie Waldrop. Um, also, I want to share with you a bit of good news. You know, they, in these days, it's important to celebrate when you have good news. So um, as a part of the pa pandemic, one of the things that we made sure to do here at Calvary Baptist is to continue the ministry of our school. And, and while many of you, you are working and, and you're in a school system, your kids are going there, public school systems, and you've experienced this turmoil. It's just been a turmoil of when is it open, when is it not open, what are the rules, what are not the rules, what's being taught, do you have to worry about that and how that affects perhaps um, the minds of your children, you know, in all kinds of ways. Are they being even given a godly education, a direction to follow Christ? Um, at Calvary Baptist School, we just committed during this season of life to not quit, to not shut down, and continue to educate children here. And I want to tell you why. This past week, um, one of our teachers brought to our attention that one of our middle school students um, was wanting to know about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so um, you'll get to see, hopefully here in a few weeks, the fruit of that. Because this week, um, we sat down with her and Macy gave her heart to Christ this week um, as a ministry of Calvary Baptist School. Um, and that is a powerful reminder of why we do what we do. You know, you look at our world and, gosh, everything's challenging. I know for you it's challenging for the churches, it's challenging for ministries, it's challenging for the school. But the kingdom of God will not be stopped. The gates of hell cannot prevail against what Jesus does in the hearts of those who seek him. And you're a part of that, so I want to celebrate that good news as well. And we look forward to celebrating that baptism as a part of the ministry here at Calvary Baptist School, which is your ministry. So very grateful um, to see these types of things happening in the midst of our world today. We're going to continue in our series called Bloom. And, and today, I want to ask you a question. When you have something that blooms in your yard, like maybe it's a flower, something that you plant, maybe it's a bulb, um, maybe it's the trees that you're nurturing, um, maybe you don't have a green thumb, so you just go buy it at the store, you put it out for a minute, and then it dies, and then you replace it, right? Or maybe you just buy one of the plastic ones that stays green and blooms all the time, right? Because that's what you can do. You know you can't take care of it. That's... But what emotion, what feeling does it evoke within you when you see something beautiful bloom? It's life-giving, isn't it? It's pleasing. It's, it's pleasing to you. It, it creates just a sense, if even for a moment, of life, freshness, beauty. There's hope. There's, there's this promise of things getting better. Do you realize that you, as a follower of Jesus, are like that to God, and you are like that to your world. When you bloom as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you reflect the beauty that God has placed within you and who He's created and designed you to be in this world, you are pleasing to God. 
And the fruit that you bear, it matters in the world. And therefore, to God, He's going, that's my girl, that's my boy. Look at them bloom. It happens naturally in life. It happens in our yards. Um, but we don't think of it so many times um, in our spiritual life. Today I want to talk to you about what it means to be pleasing to God. What it means as a Christian to bloom in such a way, as a follower of Jesus, as a person who is walking in His Word, who is listening to the Spirit of God guide you. What it's like for you when you bloom to be pleasing to God. And I want to remind you, because literally, I didn't have a whole lot of time to do the full passage justice last week when it talked about governments and submitting to those who are in authority over you and how even in moments where that authority seems very challenging, the way in which you respond is a way that you show the life of God, the hope of God, the reflection of the peace and the love of God. I'm going to tell you very clearly, when, when Peter was teaching through that to the church then, perhaps even you today, when you read that, you go, that's not very natural to me. Because when I don't like something, I want to react, don't you? When I don't like something, if it's not perhaps the way that maybe I was raised or the culture that I appreciate or the thought process in which I'm going and I make myself kind of the standard of the right, the wrong, the left, the right, whatever it may be that you struggle with. When I put myself in that position, I'm going to get frustrated, tense, angry, react. Um, you're going to see the flesh come out. And I, I think that's probably not only true of me, it's true of you. When you read through what Simon Peter writes to Christians, and you've got to grasp that, he's not writing to people who are going to respond fleshly, worldly. Son and daughter of Christ, he's writing to you. And he's saying, what Christ has done in you should cause you to respond in a way that is different from the world around you. And when you do, it's a beautiful thing. Because there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. And so he picks up today in this word submission. He uses it not only for the authority when talking about government, whether the government is right or wrong. Wow, that, that really challenges us. But he begins to use it also in relationships. And there's only one way that it works. The way that it works is ultimately we can only submit and shine and bloom with others, with the authorities, with things in our life when we first submit to Christ. And Simon Peter is making this assumption. It's an assumption that, that happened then, but I think perhaps today we need to be reminded of it. He's making an assumption that we first and foremost as Christians would not just receive this beautiful salvation, but that we would submit to Christ. We would submit to the one who has saved us, forgiven us, brought us out of darkness, as he said, into marvelous light that he talked about, that we would surrender of our will, our emotions to Christ and allow Christ to guide us in how we treat people. In the rest of the chapter, in the next chapter, he begins to talk about we bloom. And it's a beautiful thing when we treat people 
the way that Jesus treats us. And he, he begins when we read today, we pick up, he talks about freedom. And I want to remind you, he wrote this <laughs> 64 A.D. So he didn't write this as an American citizen. He wrote this as a citizen of heaven, as someone who belonged to Jesus, a kingdom that was greater than the Roman Empire of the world. And he says, look, you have been given a freedom to be different than even the Roman world around you. What a great introduction today as we pick up today in verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Bible says this, Simon Peter writes to them and he says, Act as free men, that includes women, right? People, he's writing to the church. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. Bond servants. In other words, you are bound to Christ. He reminds them who they are. And I understand even today, when I read through the letter that Simon Peter would write to the church then, I read it today, it, it, it perhaps, for some of us, causes us to bristle because we go, well, that's not how we live in America, right? It's not how people live at all unless they have surrendered to Christ. And he reminds them, that's who you are. You have surrendered to Christ, and therefore, what does it look like? And notice this, verse 17. Honor all people. The people we agree with. The people we like. The people who come from the places that we like or the background that we like. No. Honor all people. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Who's the brotherhood? That would be the church. That would be the family of God. The brothers and sisters of Christ. Love the church. Love the body of Christ. Love the people of Christ. Fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. It's like having an unreasonable employer in your life or employee. He, he talks about how to show respect. Why? This finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows, even when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and you suffer for it, and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian 
of your souls. Then he talks about how that looks in relationships. So he talks about how it looks in our world, but then he brings it to our home life. In the same way, you wives be submissive. Same word that he used for the government, by the way. Same type of humble surrender. Submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Husbands, in the same way, you live with your wives in an understanding way. As someone who is weaker, physically speaking, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that men, your prayers will not be hindered. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For, the scripture says, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil. She must turn away from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, I have to acknowledge when I read the letter of First Peter, Second um, Peter, matter of fact, a lot of even the letters that Simon Peter and the Apostle Paul would write, um, if I read them from an American perspective today in the year 2020, then I'm going to find things that will cause me to bristle. Would you agree when you read those things today? Matter of fact, there are a lot of people that when you would read this, you would go, well, gosh, that's old school. <laughs> that's old fashioned. That's why the Bible is irrelevant. And that's why I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to believe in that God. I'm going to form a God that fits my 2020 perspective instead of a first century church perspective. And so a lot of people would find themselves highly intelligent with that type of argument to make some of the things that we read in Scripture today irrelevant today. But I want to ask you a genuine, thoughtful question. Don't you think that it was just as irrelevant then as it is today? 
Think about it. It was just as irrelevant to the culture then as it would be to the world in which we live today. There is no way to embrace the love of Christ in how you treat other people and how you respond to the world around you unless you first surrender to the one who saved you. There's no way for it to work. And if you back up to a Roman culture, this might shock you, by the way, but if you back up to the Roman culture, what Simon Peter is addressing are some of the same things that people do over and over and over again. They never learn throughout culture and history. Simon Peter is addressing this reality that people are not property. Whether it be someone that works for you, whether you be in charge as an authority in government, whether it be in your home, Simon Peter says, look, for you as a Christian, it's totally different. He said that to them at that point, which bring that forward to our world today. And you go, oh, my goodness, Christ is giving us a whole different perspective on how we must live and bloom and be pleasing to God in our world. And if I set up as a Christian the number one desire in my life to please God first, that's where we left off last week. The context beginning, all that we talked about, we left off that I must acknowledge His authority over my life first. If I do that, then everything else will come into place. But if I'm not willing to surrender to Christ first and to please Him first in my relationships, in my world, if I'm not willing to do that, then nothing else makes sense. It won't make sense. It didn't make sense to the Christians then because they lived in a world that was, at that time, just as modern as your world today. And it doesn't make sense to a lot of people now. Why? Because we forget that the most important thing in our life is to be pleasing to God. And how, how do we show ourselves pleasing to God? It's how we use the freedom of our relationship that's been given to us by Christ in how we treat one another. And he goes through this. I want to give you a life lesson today if you're taking notes. Um, and I think this passage today is one of those that helps Christians, the church. Um, and I just want to go on and acknowledge that because I think that uh, today there are so many angles and, and so many ways that, that we want to be the authority. Um, and we've belittled what it means to surrender to Christ. We've belittled what it means to be saved, to actually follow a Savior who has a better way for His people, His nation, His priests, which is you, the church. Freedom in Christ is a gift. Freedom in Christ is a gift. And that gift allows us to serve Him and those He has placed in our lives. Freedom in Christ. He, he begins by saying, act free. Do not use your freedom as a way to manipulate. Do not use your relationship with God as a way to control. Freedom is a gift. It is a gift that Christ gives. He's not talking about a government or a nation. 
We are thankful to be able to do what we're doing today, but there are others who are thankful for Christ when their government doesn't allow it. Do you realize one of the fastest growing churches of believers and followers of Christ in the world is not the United States of America? You know where it is? Communist China. That's where the fastest growing work of God is. Why? Those are people who don't have the freedoms that we have. But what have they found? Their relationship to Christ is more valuable than anything else. The truth is, sometimes when we're being blessed, we, we forget that our blessings that come to us from God are not to be taken with pride and arrogance, but they are to be used to be a blessing to someone else. But when you have nothing and you receive Christ, Christ becomes your everything. Simon Peter knew that for the church then. There are churches today that parts of the body of Christ that realize that today. And freedom in Christ, they realize how valuable a gift that is. And when you realize how valuable a gift that is, you begin to bloom. You begin to bloom by serving Him. And you begin to, by serving, you begin to bloom by serving those that He has placed around you. When I look at this passage um, and I see the multiple angles, the, the issues, the challenges that he lays out that the Christians were facing then and that you and I will face today, the Word of God is the same. And how do we use our freedom in Christ to bloom before God and to impact those around us? Well, he begins with this freedom concept, which, by the way, is echoed in Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. And therefore, he says there, use your freedom to serve in love. He talks about freedom is to be used to serve others. And he talks about how to do it. You do it in love. And here, Simon Peter carries this on. And he says, don't use it for evil, but use it as a servant of God. Honor the people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And those of you who are servants, be submissive to those who are above you with all respect. Christians are pleasing to God because they are different from the world. They are people first and foremost who will show honor and respect to those around them. And where does honor and respect come from? Does it come because your mama taught you to be honorable and respectful? Um, your daddy taught you with the end of a belt or, or something else to be honorable and respectful. No, honor and respect, true honor and respect comes from within. And it comes from within when you first honor and respect God as the authority of your life. When you honor and respect the Savior who has rescued you from the life of darkness that you had prior to knowing Him. Honor and respect, now it's not something that just happens internally it does that first because when you honor and respect God, then I have a choice to make. How am I then going to treat the people in my life, even people that I may disagree with or have a problem with? Or when I have a frustration in my own home, how am I going to treat those people, an issue? And we all are going to have them. The people of Christ, they shine and they bloom and they are pleasing to God when they show honor and respect. And we learn to show honor and respect outwardly when we first learn to show it inwardly toward God. If I honor the king, 
By the way, he's talking about the king, and I'm sure he's talking about the physical king, who in AD 64, when he wrote this letter, Simon Peter wrote this letter, would have been Nero, the Roman emperor Nero, which, side note, by the way, in the book of Revelation, that number 666 is numerically the number for the name Nero. So when you think about the sign of the beast and you think about the reality of what Revelation was written about, Revelation was this word written to churches then going, hey, this guy's acting like the devil trying to destroy the people of God. Now, a lot of people want to interpret that book today for end times thinking, and there's a lot there. But just so that you know, the book of Revelation is very well connected to the situation that Simon Peter and the Christians were living in then. And yes, does it, has a, does it have a prophetic, futuristic tense that applies to you today as a Christian? Absolutely. But I'm not teaching on Revelation yet, right? I'm just letting you see the connection that the same person in charge that Simon Peter is dealing with is the same person written about in the book of Revelation. That's how much oppression was coming toward the church, the body of Christ. And Simon Peter would say, honor Nero. <laughs> what? <laughs> Man, Peter, there's no way that works. But what he's showing is that for the child of God, those who follow Christ, if we are just like the rest of the world, then our faith is useless. If we respond to all the agendas that are out there the way that the world does, then you don't look like Jesus. You look like your cause. And you don't want to end up on the wrong cause or the wrong issue just because it's your issue. Get bigger than that. You focus on learning honor and respect. And how do you honor and respect people in your lives? It's not just honoring the earthly authority. You can't honor earthly authorities if you don't honor the heavenly authority first. And I love how he writes that because it's not just honoring the king on earth. I can never honor kings on earth if I don't honor the king of heaven first, Jesus. And so he lays out honor and respect. How can we show honor and respect as Christians? These are very practical. He deals with some things then that I, I know that we deal with today. We have to as Christians because the world is still the same. It's still broken, but you are blooming. You are intended to be pleasing to God. And the most way to be pleasing to God is how you respond to the world around you. So honor and respect, it has to be shown in our service. In our service. This portion where he talks about servants... Honor and respect your masters. Honor and respect those who have authority over you. And not just those who are good, who pay you well, who are kind to you, who are honorable to you. Even to those who are challenging to you, persecute you, and are difficult and flat out mean. Even toward them, I want you to show honor and respect. Why? And then he gives this example. He gives this example of Christ who endured suffering. And for us, he says, what good is it if you only honor those who are kind to you, who give to you, who are nice to you? What good is that? You don't prove anything with that. But you prove that you are like Jesus. That you are saved by Jesus. That you belong to the 
family of God, that you are a believer and a real, genuine, authentic Christian, when you are able, like Jesus, to persevere, to endure, and to stand up with patience when you are wrongly treated just like Christ was. The truth is, in some capacity today, we are all servants of someone else. I work for somebody. You work for somebody. We serve somebody. We give our best for somebody. If, if I walked up each Sunday and just shot from the hip, you'd run me out of town, right? <laughs> we don't want a pastor that doesn't teach the Word. Even when the Word makes me bristle in a modern generation because God has a higher standard than I perhaps am hearing from my world today. You, in your life, you serve someone else always. He talks about it even in that time for those who were servants of someone. Today, he talks about it, and I think it's very relevant for us whether we serve as an employee or we serve people as an employer, or whether or not you serve in some civic or civil capacity. Whether you're serving to help people rebuild their homes, find insurance, educate their children, um, you serve in a police force, in a government capacity, in a legal capacity, in a court capacity, whatever it is, the only way it ever works best is when you show honor and respect to the people you serve because you honor and respect the king first and in your service to others you bloom. That's when you are pleasing to God as a believer. Now, I realize that seems like pie in the sky and we don't ever see that for real in our world. I understand that. But you can tell the difference, can't you? You know when you encounter someone who does it better than someone who doesn't. You know when you meet someone of grace and peace and kindness and wisdom and direction and they're following a higher authority than their paycheck. <laughs> you know the difference. You want that person overseeing your case, working through your issue with your health, your spirit guiding you toward the Lord. That's the person you want. Christian, in our service to others, we must learn to show the honor and respect that we have for the Lord. Here's the second thing. It's not just in your service. He talks about it in your homes. Honor and respect in your homes is very important. He's not laying out, and I think this is where even today, just as then, uh, people want to grind an axe. They want to find an issue. Um, you had agendas then where there would be this division between women and men. You see that even currently today. Um, one being superior to the other and therefore the other one wanting to rise up and oppress both ways. It's written in history. Why? That's what the world is going to do. But the people of God who show honor and respect to God therefore then learn how to show that in their homes toward their children, toward their spouse, husbands towards wives, wives towards husbands. It is a mutual way of honoring God when you honor one another. It's written about all through Scripture. It's not a chauvinist, biased way of doing life. It's the way that honors one another. And when you honor one another and you respect one another in your home, guess what? 
your relationship begins to blossom. Wives begin to blossom for husbands. Husbands begin to blossom for wives. You begin this mutually beneficial relationship that God intended for everyone to experience anyways. Children, likewise, you receive that. When mom and dad have it going well, you receive the benefit of that. And it's shameful if you would be disobedient to those who honor you as kids by giving you the best that they can possibly give you, even though they're not perfect, but they're showing honor and respect and trying to guide your life. That's when a home looks like a home. That's when a family looks like a family. And that only works when honor and respect is given to the Lord in his way first. And therefore then, when that flows naturally into our hearts, we show it to one another. When we don't show it to one another, then the divisions happen, the anger happens, the fighting happens, the elevating of one person over another person, oppression happens. And that is simply not the way that Christ intended for our homes to work. The third section, he talks about our world. People who show honor and respect in our world. And he talks about the difference between those who seek the Lord by being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. The people who bloom and are pleasing to God, they are a blessing to those around them. They're a blessing to those that they work with. They're a blessing to those in their home. And they're simply a blessing to those in their world. Have you ever had a stranger compliment you on your spirit or the way in which you engage with them? Uh, I had that this week uh, dealing with someone I don't even know. They're in San Francisco and we were talking about an item on the phone and they said, I have never met someone that's just so kind in talking on the phone about an issue. And actually, I was talking to them about an issue that I was disappointed in their performance on as a company. <laughs> and so I was letting them know, hey, you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain, but I was doing it in a very honorable and respectful way. And they said, you know, I told my supervisor I've never had this happen. Now, that's not me, because you know what me wanted to do? <laughs> I wanted to give them more than a piece of my mind. That's what me wanted to do. But Christ in me, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, teaches us to show honor and respect in our world. Because when you do, you become a blessing to someone else. People who bloom. And Simon Peter helps the church then, and I think it's very appropriate for us today, understand our freedom allows us to serve God. And how we serve God is best revealed in how we serve others by showing them honor and respect. They are secondly people who follow Christ's example. Simon Peter talks about the way in which you do this is by following Christ's example. You can't do this by following most people. You can't do this by following social media trends or your favorite um, news station. Um, even if you're open-minded and you're trying to get all the different sides of an argument perspective, you're not going to find what you're looking for Unless you first learn to follow Jesus' example first. And it's Jesus' example that stood out then. And guess what? Jesus' example stands out today. And what does Jesus' example look like? Jesus was patient when wronged. Simon Peter reminds the Christians then of what Jesus did. Christ also suffered for you and he left you an example for you to follow in his steps. What did he do? He committed no sin. 
No deceit was found in his mouth. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. He suffered, but he uttered no threats. He entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. And this is where your salvation comes from. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus was patient when wronged. As people who follow Christ's example, we have to learn to be patient even when we're wronged. They also were reminded to endure even when you suffer. Right now, I think that would be true of many Christians in Ukraine. They are enduring in suffering. They are enduring as followers of Jesus Not just citizens of a nation, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And there's suffering going on there. Suffering happens in the world, but the example of Jesus helps those who are suffering. If Jesus did it and you're his child, you can do it too. If Jesus went through it, then guess what? If he went through it, the Son of God, the King of heaven went through it, then we are not immune. So we're not immune from medical suffering. We're not immune from political suffering. We're not immune from other types of physical or mental suffering. We're not immune from it. It's going to happen. But just as Jesus was able to endure it and him dwelling in you, saving you, making you a part of his family, he will be with you and help you to endure the same. Don't be like the world because when you're like the world, there's no value in your suffering. If you only praise those who praise you, but you ridicule those who cause you to suffer, then you look just like everyone else. And therefore, you're just like the world, but you're not like the kingdom of heaven. Why did they hate Jesus? Why why did they crucify Jesus? Because he simply was not of this world. He was a Savior that wasn't like anyone else. Not only because he was the Messiah and he did all these good things, But they just couldn't get him down. He endured even in his suffering. And how did he do that? By pursuing righteousness. And Peter reminds the church then to pursue his righteousness. We are people who follow his example by pursuing the righteousness of God. He uttered no threats, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. And he gave himself, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. Look at this, verse 24. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. Now, by his wounds you are healed, immediately you're thinking, what a great verse, right? By his stripes you are healed. A great prophecy of the Old Testament. We, we many times say that passage when we take communion and we're reminded of the blood. By his stripes, by his blood we are healed. Healed for what? <laughs> healed from what? Well, yeah, I mean, there are the miracles of being healed from physical ailments, from mental ailments, um, from psychological ailments, from, from challenges. Yeah, all of that. But really, healed from what? Healed to be righteous. What does righteous mean? Right with God. You have been healed to live right with God. And how is righteousness shown? In your honor and respect and by following Christ's example. We died to our sins so that we could live to righteousness. That's why we were healed. The last thing, and I'll close with this, not because I want to, but because 
well, we're going to run out of time. And I love this letter, and, and I'm kind of guiding us along a pathway of, of getting through First Peter and Second Peter. But the last portion of the letter, you know, in the first part, he talks about the way in which we serve, honor. The second part, he talks about the home. And then the last part, he really talks about how we interact with our world. And it all begins with the freedom that we have in our relationship with him. And he talks about in the final part, we are people who are blessed to be a blessing. People who are blessed to be a blessing. He sums it all up. And he says, all of you be harmonious, harmonious in your work, harmonious in your homes, sympathetic in your work, in your homes, brotherly, kind-heartedly, humble in spirit, not returning evil for in, evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing for you were called for this purpose so that you might receive a blessing. How am I going to receive a blessing from God when I'm a blessing to someone else? And what is... The blessing that we have received. Well, we've received our salvation. We've received our freedom. We've received our citizenship. We've received a different way to interact with our world, with the people around us. We've received all of that. That is the blessing that the world needs. But the blessing doesn't receive it unless we give it. And then we don't receive a blessing unless we live out what we have already received. You know, it's funny. We use that word a lot, be blessed bless you. We say it a lot in our culture. I kind of like it because in New Orleans, you actually see it on a billboard sometimes, you know, bless you. And you'll see it on all types of things. And there's this kind of make you feel good. Um, and this sense of God's providence be upon you and before you. But how do you move from a general sense of being blessed to a very specific? Now, God just blessed me. It's when you do something very deliberate and very intentional with the freedom, the salvation, the life that God has given you to bless someone else. Uh, I'll give you a very simple, practical example. Um, we have this wonderful part of our cultural phenomenon uh, in our region that shuts down our whole city. Right? It's called Mardi Gras, right? And, and so the kids love it because they get a week out of school. Um, and then a lot of people love it because usually there's a day or two that maybe you don't have to work full force, etc. And there's just this sense of community that happens. Now, now, we have to acknowledge there's a lot of revelry that goes along with it. And therefore, people from the outside, um, you'll look at those of us on the inside and, and you'll be like, yep, that's the devil's playground and that's, that's Sin City of the South and, and God's just going to judge us and blow us up in New Orleans. Yeah, well, he hadn't yet and we've made it through a few pretty bad hurricanes and we're still fighting um, through that. But that's kind of sometimes what the perspective may be. But how do you become a blessing in the midst of all of that to your city? Well, it's very simple. You know, a very simple example is yesterday one of our dear family members in this church who's been um, battling for her life through sickness. She was a part uh, of one of the floats yesterday. And there was a group of people from this family of faith, this church, who all gathered together for the very exclusive purpose of supporting her and her family during this whole battle of life that she's been going through to be there, not just because we call it Mardi Gras, but because we actually do love the people of the brotherhood, of the fellowship of the church, and because we want to support them. And we use, perhaps, the tools of our culture to be a blessing to someone else. Um, and I'm just so grateful for that 
to be able to support you, Patty, and your family, Eric, your children, right, and all of you in the midst of that battle for her um, health and future and all that because she is a woman of Jesus. She is a reflection of the passage that we just read. It doesn't look like the world. It's really supernatural. It's something that only Jesus can bring inside of his children. The freedom that comes from knowing him. The health that comes even sometimes in spite of what our bodies or maybe even our world may show. It's something greater. It's a cause that's bigger. It's a love that transforms. It's a relationship that's real. It is a living, blooming faith. And when that happens, when we use moments like that to influence and impact our world... We as the children of God, no matter where we've been planted, we are pleasing to Him. And we're pleasing to Him in how we interact with others. How can I be a blessing? If I'm blessed in such a way, how can I be a blessing? These final two things. I need to use opportunities to seek the good and the peace of others. I'm a blessing when I use the blessings that God has blessed me with in my relationship with Him to seek the good and the peace of others. Simon Peter writes this, and he says, You don't exchange evil for evil, but you give a blessing. The one who desires to live, to love, and to see good days, they keep their tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. They turn away from evil, and what do they do? They do good. They seek peace and they pursue it and that's who the eyes of the Lord are towards that's who the ears of the Lord hear but the Lord is against those who do not we are a blessing when we do exactly this last part of the prophecy that Simon Peter echoes when we seek the good and the peace of others and by way of reminder that only happens when we first and foremost seek the audience of the Lord So it goes back to this very simple principle. I have to seek the Lord first. Because if I seek the Lord first, then how I interact with others second is different than how the world would would do it. How my flesh would normally do it. How my natural intellectual ability would do it. I look for a higher way because I'm seeking Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus would say. And then all these other things would be added to you. They would come to fruition in your life. These blessings would happen for you as a child of God. But it begins when you first seek Him. And Simon Peter says, that's who God looks to. That's who God hears. Those are the kind of prayers that He listens to. And His face is for them, not against them. When I look at this passage, what Simon Peter is echoing to the church then is not so much the external way that we look. Ladies, there's a section in there about jewelry and and what you wear. And is he saying be frumpy? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying be merely adorned with that. He's not saying, you know, gosh, don't wear anything nice. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is for all of us. Ladies, there's there. Men, he talks about how you treat the ladies in your life. And he talks about how we treat those in authority. What do you have on the inside? Where does it come from? Where does real beauty, where does real leadership, where does a real quality response to persecution come from? 
It comes from what's in your heart. And you only are able to do that well and better than the world around you when you seek the face of the Lord first. This is what the people of God look like. That's what he said to them then. And I know, even now, a part of this passage, as we read it, you might go, well, that just doesn't relate to me today. (laughs) Welcome to the crowd. Because the reality for all of us is we either surrender to Christ or we're just like everybody else. Child of God, today, my prayer for you is that as we continue to walk through this book, that the Word of God would speak to you. The Word of God would speak to us. And that we wouldn't just come out of a time of shutdown in a nation, in the world, and a pandemic and all of the challenges. We wouldn't just come out of that and get back to normal. My prayer for all of us is that we would come through that. and We would be a better church. We would be better followers of Jesus. More pure, committed, more loving, more bringing of blessings and peace to the people around us. Because that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And that's greater than any government that the world has ever seen. It's greater than any agenda or cause that the world has ever seen. Don't forget that it is the body of Christ that Christ said will change the world. It is the people of Christ. That's you that will show the world what hope and love is really like. And in that, I think it's another time for us to pray. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes and let's humble our hearts before God. Because perhaps in the world that you're living in right now, it's the fleshly response, the mental response, the physical response that comes first. And that's normal. That's natural. What we really need is the supernatural. The healing of our hearts, our minds, our bodies that has brought to us the freedom of Christ in our souls that makes us different and shine and bloom in the world around us. God, I I thank you today for your children. I thank you today for your church. It's your church that reminds us as members of the body of Christ that we have been saved by you Jesus if there's anyone out there even right now who has never surrendered by faith authentically to the wonderful grace and love of Christ right now perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you know gosh I've never trusted in Jesus that way and that's your step today if you know it's time for you to surrender the will and the heart to Christ as your Savior the perfect loving Savior that would rescue your soul and give you a freedom that the world can't give. If that's who you are, then right now, right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, online, even now, I want you to say, God in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus coming to save me, that he endured a harsh world to rescue me from it and to give me a freedom not of this world. Set my soul free, Jesus, from sin. I want to follow you and surrender my heart and I want to be a blessing in my world. Save me. Use me for a different cause in this world today to live for you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed.
that's who you are. There's a card in the back of your seats today. You can use that to respond if you'd like online. Send us a note. We'd like to know that in your life. But now I want to talk to you as Christians, those of you who are part of the brotherhood, the family, brothers and sisters in Christ. At some point in your journey, you did surrender by faith your heart to Christ. But did you take your will back up somewhere in the journey? And therefore, your responses are dictated more by the world than by Jesus. Simon Peter reminded the church then, and it's very appropriate for us today, the same Jesus who set us free from sin, set us free to live differently in this world. So even now, perhaps it's an attitude, anger, frustration, confusion, maybe hopelessness, powerlessness, Dear brother and sister, lay that at the feet of Christ. He is still in control, and he hears the prayers, and his eyes look to those who are seeking him first. Father, I pray this for your church, for my brothers and sisters, for the family of faith in Christ Jesus, that not only you will draw us closer to you, but closer to one another and in a way that makes a difference in our world. We thank you for the blessing of being called your children. And God, we pray that you allow us to be a blessing to the world we live in. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Today, I, I thank you for the time of prayer that we have. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Last week, I want to thank you for the opportunity that you were faithful in your giving. A lot of what's happening in our church uh, this week, some of you saw the lights on outside. You see the work that we've done. Thank you for being faithful with your giving, your tithes, your offerings, and the things you've done to help this church embrace what is next. It's the life-giving moments like using Mardi Gras this week to be redemptive, um, seeing a student come to know Christ, or even within our own family of faith, having children born into a church that's going to point them toward Christ and help them to grow. That's what it means to be different, to be a blessing. And I'm so thankful um, that you were here today. A lot of alternatives out there, but you chose to be in church as a part of the family of faith today. And this is what I know because of His Word and because of His Spirit at work inside of you, you are going to be a blessing. Next week, next week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion together. You will want to be in church next week. I realize that it's kind of funny in our culture. Everybody can go sin for a period of time and then go make it all right on Wednesday, right? Um, that's not really how that works. But I think it's a great reminder that next week you can be reminded of how it works. Following Christ, saved by Christ, being reminded to take a part of the communion of Christ, saved by His body and His blood given for you. So next week we're going to do that. I look forward to celebrating that with you. I want you to stand to your feet today. As we've been doing, I think a great way for us to finish church today is to be able to worship the Lord and sing to Him. So I'm just grateful that as a church, just like Simon Peter said to the church then, we are a beacon of life. We are lights in the world. And I want to encourage you this week, bloom.